Good evening to each of you. Thank you again for having my family and I here this evening. Um, I'm sure he'll quiet down eventually. If not, Katie will will happily remove uh, him. Any preacher worth half his salt preach over baby. That's right. That's right. And I've done it many a time. Will you open the Word of God this evening to Exodus chapter 9? Exodus chapter 9. And verse 3 is where we will find our text, and the title of this evening's message is The Hand of the Lord. That is what we will be examining this evening. Exodus chapter 9 and verse 3 reads this way, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine or a very severe pestilence. We use our hands for many different tasks. We use it for fixing things. We use uh, even our hands to, to talk, to communicate. Uh, some, that is their form of communication, sign language, and others, like myself, in many instances, I use my hands in, in while I'm talking. I almost talk with my hands. That's how uh, many people speak. We also use them for feeding. We, we eat with our hands, especially children. We drink, we serve, we do all kinds of things. We, we, the, the healing that we can perform you know, through surgeries and, and things of that nature, we use our hands. We also use our hands in destroying things, uh, uh, tearing up the ground, all kinds of whatever type of destruction it is that we're creating, whether for good or for evil. We use our hands for that as well. The Lord's hands, He gave us hands that we might understand how He uses His hands. His hands are not used for one purpose. They are used for many purposes. Many purposes. And we, we will understand that as we go through the Scriptures tonight. He uses His hands for many different tasks as well. Let us begin here with His hand is used for destruction. His hand is used for destruction. We see that in this in this verse, Exodus chapter 9 and verse 3, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, a severe pestilence. Now it would not, his hand was upon them for protection, but his hand would also be against the Egyptians. And his hand would be what delivered what delivered that severe pestilence <coughs> unto the Egyptians here in Exodus chapter 9 and verse 3. It would be against them, but it would be for the people of Israel. Notice there, he is the one causing the destruction, and the destruction is not out of his hand. It is literally from his hand there in Exodus chapter 9. It is not uncontrolled. It is absolutely controlled. Every last bit of it is controlled by His hand. Come to Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 15 as we're studying the hand of the Lord in all of its many uses. We're, we're examining how He uses His hand to deliver destruction. Here in Deuteronomy 2 and verse 15 the Word of God reads this way. For indeed the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. Now just for context, let's back up to verse 14 and we'll get through verse 16. 
and the space in which we came from Kadesh Barnea un until we were come over the brook Zered uh, was about 30 and 8 years until all the generation of the men of war were wasted or destroyed out from among the host as the Lord, uh, as the Lord sware unto them. Deuteronomy is written after the 40, at the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. This 38, 38 years has passed, and that's what's being spoken of here. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them. His own hand destroyed the generation of Israelites that, that would not walk in his ways, that did not heed his word. His hand was against them and to destroy them from among the host until they were consumed. So it came to pass when all the men of war were consumed and dead from among the people. That is when, that is when this is being written, after that generation had passed away. After all of those that were over the age of, it's either 20 and over or over the age of 20. I can't remember exactly how that verse reads. But it was all the children that would, uh, the children of those would enter into the promised land. Not the generation, not, not what the Lord considers adults would enter into the promised land. There, his hand was against them to destroy them. Come to Judges. Judges 2 and 15. We see again, his hand is used for destruction. Whithersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. For evil. As the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly distressed. Verse 14 uh, tells us that the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Again, it is against his people Israel for not walking in his ways. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about. So that they could, could not any longer stand before their enemies. But come to verse 16 and notice the mercy. The mercy of the Lord that's given in this passage. Nevertheless, the Lord doesn't forget his people. He does not forget his promises. The Lord raised up judges which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. It is the Lord. The Lord's hand was hot against them. He was angry. They would not walk in his ways. And remember the Mosaic covenant, a covenant of works. You do this, I'll bless you. You walk in my ways. You follow my law. You perform the sacrifices that I have laid out. And you, you, walk, uh, you walk in my ways as if you want to do that. And I will bless you. But if you do not, I will do all of these things. And that's what the book of Judges tells us over and over and over and over again. One generation would be raised up that knew the Lord and would walk in His ways, and the next generation was raised up that didn't know the Lord. And they, they would uh, fall into great perils, and the Lord would, would cast, uh, cast them into the hands of their enemies. 1 Samuel, come to 1 Samuel 5. We see again the, the Lord's hand used for destruction. 5 and verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto, unto Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. Dagon was their God. And when they of Ashdod arose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him in his place again. Now with that, with that, with that picture in your mind, they had taken the Ark of the Covenant and placed it next to Dagon, their god, their idol, their, their sculpture of, of their idol, so that they could worship 
the God of Israel alongside their created God. Our Lord God doesn't share his glory with another. He will not share his glory with another. He would not accept that they will place, them, place him next to any other God. So he knocked their God over. How puny does your God have to be that you, oh, oh, he fell over, we need to pick him up and set him up again. How puny. They must have, they probably never even dawned on them how puny their God must be that they had to pick him up and set him upright. But that is, that is what the Lord God was, was showing, that I will not be worshipped next to another. And when they arose early on the morrow, on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off upon the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. And notice that, that he was fallen, the, the idol was fallen down before the ark of the covenant. So it was as if their God was worshiping the God of Israel, showing who is the true and the living God. Verse, and and his, obviously his head and his, and his hands had been removed. Verse 5, Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any that, that come into Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emeralds, or we would say in our modern language, hemorrhoids. They, they were given hemorrhoids as a punishment for what they had done. Unto even Ashdod and the coasts thereof, and misery loves company. Misery loves company. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us. For his hand, they understood whose hand was sore upon them. They, they were at least intelligent enough to figure that out. His hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. So what did they do? They didn't return it. They didn't give it back to Israel, at least not yet. They sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. We don't want this punishment anymore, but we'll give it to you guys. And they carried the ark of God, of the God of Israel, about thither. And it was so that after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great, and they had emeralds or hemorrhoids in their secret parts. It is a, uh, a baffling thing what, what goes through the minds of these people, why they would continue to do this. But we notice it is the hand of the Lord that brought these things upon them. They, and they even understood that it was the hand of the Lord God that was sore against them, that was bringing these judgments upon them for what they had done. And bringing these judgments upon their God. Because their God was no God at all. And they were attempting to worship Him. Next to. Along, along with. The only true and the living God. It is His hand. That brings destruction. Come to the Psalms. Psalm 75. 75 and, and. Verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord. There is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is full of mixture. And he poureth out of the same, but the dregs thereof, all of the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. But I declare forever, I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked also will I cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be exalted. Our Lord God will do that, and in his hand is the 
cup. It's a, it's a cup and the wine is red. It is full of mixture and the wicked will even drink the dregs of it. Revelation 14 speaks of them drinking the wine of the, uh, of the, of the wine press. The, the, uh, I'm drawing a blank on, on exactly how that verse reads. Revelation 14 and 10, I believe that it is. The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Our Lord in his hand, his hand brings destruction and in his hand is that, is that wine of the fierceness of the wrath of God. Isaiah 19. Isaiah 19, in verse 1, you see that it is the burden of Egypt. The burden of Egypt and in verse 16, we see in that day shall Egypt be like unto women. Now there's nothing wrong with women. There's nothing wrong with women. It's talking about how their men will fight. And it shall be afraid and fear because of the shaking of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which he shaketh over it. And the land of Judah shall be a terror unto Egypt. Every one that maketh mention thereof shall be afraid, shall be afraid in himself because of the counsel of the Lord of hosts, which he has to he hath determined against it. He uses his hand to bring destruction upon his enemies. Now we continue. His hand is also used. To show might. To show might. And so, might being sovereignty. Come to John. Joshua, excuse me. Joshua chapter 4. His hand has many uses. It brings about destruction. And it also shows his sovereignty. Joshua 4 and 24. We'll get verse 23. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of Jordan from before you. Until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. Did you know that there were two, two times in which the Lord dried up a river? Dried up a river and, and the people walked across it on dry land? He did it whenever they entered the wilderness, whenever they went across the Red Sea. That's the one that we all know and are very familiar with. But he also did it whenever they crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land. That they walked across on dry land. Here he's making reference to that. Until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea which he dried up from before us until we were gone over. Why did he do that? That all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you might fear, that you might revere the Lord your God forever. He did those mighty works that the people of the earth, that, that the people of Israel might know, and that they might revere, that they might hold in the utmost regard the Lord God forever. He did those works to exalt His holy name, to show His might, His sovereignty. Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21 and, and verse 1, a passage that we're, again, no, no doubt familiar with, and especially in this day. Proverbs 21 and verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and as the, as the rivers of water, He turneth it whithersoever He will. His might, His sovereignty. He controls the kings of the earth. He has them do his bidding, whatever it is that he desires to do, whether bring judgment upon a nation or bring blessings upon a nation. He uses the leaders to accomplish that purpose. Nebuchadnezzar was no doubt an example of how the Lord's the, the Lord has the king in his hand. Nebuchadnezzar learned not to be prideful. 
That was why he was sent to eat gra the grass of the field. That's why he was made a beast for seven years. That he might learn to not be a prideful man. The king of Assyria in Isaiah chapter 10. Turn, turn there with me. We'll see that he is an example of this, of this very concept. Isaiah, Isaiah 10. In verse 15. Here a woe was pronounced upon him. For God gave them charge. God gave them. God gave the king of Assyria, and, I'm, and I, I apologize. This isn't in my notes, but I, uh, verse five. O Assyria, king of Assyria, the rod of mine anger. This is the Lord God speaking, and He's saying Assyria is the rod of His anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. He is angry. He is angry at Israel for having not obeyed His word. So He will bring to pass upon them what He promised to do. If they would not obey him, I will send him against an hypocritical nation, Israel, and against the people of my wrath will I give him a charge to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. That is the charge that he gave them. That's what he told them. He, he did not tell the king of Assyria, this is what you are to do. But that was why he made Assyria powerful to accomplish that task. Howbeit, nevertheless, we looked at, we looked at that this morning. Nevertheless, he, that is the king of Assyria, meaneth not so. That's not what he intended to do. He did not intend to be a tool of God. He was a prideful man. I have all this power. I must exert it upon this weak people, Israel. He meaneth not so. Neither doth his heart think so. But it is in his heart to destroy and to cut off nations, not a few. That's what he desired to do. He did not see himself as a tool of God. Verse 15. Shall the axe... Boast itself against him that heweth therewith? Imagine an axe boasting to you that it is an axe and it will do as it pleases. That would be very strange, but that is exactly what the king of Assyria is doing by not obeying the charge that the Lord God has given him. Or shall the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it? Again, the imagery is that the king of Assyria is the tool in the Lord God's hand to accomplish his purposes. The king's heart is, is in the hands of the Lord, and he turns it whithersoever he will. As if the rod should shake itself against them that lift it up, or as if the, the staff should lift up itself as if it were no wood. Mighty strong imagery of the king's heart being in the hands of the Lord. He is the one who raised them up to accomplish a purpose. But it was not in their heart. It wasn't, it wasn't what they, they did not desire to be a tool of God. But that was why he raised them up and he would bring judgment upon them for having the desire to go above and beyond the charge that he gave them. We ultimately know that Assyria was destroyed by the angel of the Lord when he smote his army of 185,000. He brought judgment upon them for not seeing themselves as a tool of God. So his hand brings destruction and his hand shows his might, his sovereignty. His hand is also used to strengthen his servants for service. Come to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 18. A, a brief passage here in 1 Kings 18. He uses his hand to strengthen his people for service. 18 and verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. 
It is the hand of the Lord that gave him the power, the ability, and the desire to accomplish what the Lord God intended for him to accomplish. If it wasn't for, remember we, we saw this morning, that it is the Lord God who works in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is his hand that strengthens us for that service. It is his hand being upon us to do that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Come to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, it is used seven times this way in Ezekiel. We'll just look at two of them. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 3. The word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the river Kibar, and the hand of the Lord was there upon him to accomplish the task that he had given Ezekiel. Ezekiel would need the strength of the Lord working in him to accomplish all that the Lord God had given him to do. Come to Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. Here Ezekiel states that the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. To understand exactly all that Ezekiel is going to see, he had to have the hand of the Lord upon him to gird him with strength, to gird him with understanding, to grant him the, the power and the ability and the desire to do all that the Lord would have him to do. It is the Lord's hand, not only that brings destruction, that shows his sovereignty, but also that strengthens us for service. It is his hand being upon us that does that very thing, and it is also his hand. By, his hand is how he shows mercy. Come to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel 24 and 14. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of men. The hand of the Lord has many mercies, but the, the hand of man palm of man does not. Man in many instances is not full of mercy. He doesn't understand mercy, especially in his natural state. If he hasn't been shown mercy, he doesn't understand it. But the Lord understands mercy and his hand is full of mercies. Here David would rather fall to the Lord than to man. Because his hand is full of mercy. Isaiah, Isaiah 49 and verse 16 I know we're, I hope your fingers were warm. We're, we're, going, we're going to lots of different places. Isaiah 49 and 16. Behold, I have graven thee. We'll get verse 15. Can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? I wish this answer was no. But we know that why cars come with dingers and things like that to remind you of children in the back seat. We know that that answer is yes. Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee, speaking to Israel. Israel may be cast off for a time, but they would not be cast off forever. Still, in our day, they may be blinded in part, but that blindness is in part until the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in, we're told in Romans 11. Here, the Lord God says, I will not forget you. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. His hand is how he brings mercy unto his people. He will not forget his people Israel. He will always remember them. 62, Isaiah 62. 62 in verse 3. 
Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be merry. While today, in that day, they may have been termed forsaken and desolate. The Lord would deliver mercy. They would not always be in that state. They would not always be in that state. They would be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord. They will be that one day. They will be that. His hand will deliver mercy unto those people. Isaiah 62, 66, excuse me, 66 in verse 13. As one whom his mother comforteth, so will I comfort you. And ye you, and you shall be comforted in Jerusalem. And when ye see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like an herb in the hand of the Lord, shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. His hand, again used for destruction, for the showing of his might, for the strengthening of his servants for service, and the showing of mercy. But we can't talk about the Lord's hand without discussing his right hand. His right hand, the Lord's right hand. Come to Exodus 15. Understanding that the Lord's hands are used for many different tasks, just like ours, is a wonderful thing to understand, especially when we see His right hand. As, uh, Exodus 15, and verse 6. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power, Thy right hand, O Lord, hath dashed in pieces the enemy. His right hand has done this very thing. Come to Psalm 110. A psalm that uh, I have heard described as the Lord's favorite verse. Psalm 110.1. The Lord's favorite Bible verse. It is the one repeated most often in the Scriptures. Psalm 110.1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. And we know who this is talking about. Here, King David says that he has a Lord in between him and the Lord God. It is also called his son, the Lord Christ, in his earthly ministry, said, if he, if he by, the, by the Spirit of God called him Lord, how can he be his son? It's because they didn't, he was testing them because they didn't understand the nature of the God-man. They didn't understand the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is David's son legally, and he is David's Lord, actually. Here, in verse 6, also, he shall judge among the heathen. He, excuse me, verse 5. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. The right hand, the Lord's right hand, is a very important thing to know who that is. It isn't so much a, his literal hand, his literal right hand. It is a position, and it is a position that the Lord Christ fills. He isn't seated on his, when, when John sees him sitting at the, when the deacon Stephen sees Christ at the right hand of God, he's not sitting in his hand, it's a position. He is seated at the right hand of God. He is, if, if I may, God's right hand man is the Lord Christ. He is God's right hand man. Psalm 80. We see his right hand described further. Psalm 80 and verse 17. 
Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thyself. He's making it plain that this, that, that this is the Lord Christ, the man of God's right hand. Psalm 63 and verse 8. Here the word, the word of God reads, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. It's Christ that upholds us. Without him we could do nothing, he said. It is he that upholds us in our way. Psalm 48 and verse 10. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30 tells us that of God are we in Christ Jesus, who is made unto us wisdom and redemption and righteousness and sanctification. There's a, there's a list there, but one of them is righteousness. God's right hand, we know, we know full well Christ is full of righteousness. That is all, all that he is. There is no unrighteousness found in the Lord Christ. Psalm 17 and verse 7. 17 and 7. Show thy mercy, show thy marvelous loving kindness. O thou that savest by thy right hand. How were you saved? By God's right hand. Them which put their trust in thee from those that rise up against them. It is, it is the Lord Christ. That saves us. It is he that is God's right hand. Psalm 16 and verse 10 speaks of the Lord Christ as well. Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou wilt show me the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In Christ are there pleasures forevermore. And Psalm 16:10 is speaking specifically of the Lord Christ. Uh, Peter makes that clear in Acts. It's either 2, 3, or 4, somewhere in there. It says that David's sepulcher, David's tomb, was with them to that day. They knew that David's body saw decay. But the, Lord, the Lord's body did not see decay. It didn't decay at all. When we die, our flesh begins to decay immediately. Christ, his body, did not see decay. For God said that he will not allow his Holy One to see corruption. That, that is the application that Peter makes in that passage. Come to Mark, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 16. And we see, we, we see there in verse 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Christ is seated at the right hand of God. He is, he is the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3 who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. He is the one seated at the right hand of God. It is the position in which he has always filled. He is the right, he is the right hand of God. It is used four other times in this manner about the Lord Christ in the book of Hebrews. We won't go through all of them for time's sake, but it is... It is Christ that is God's right hand. Matthew, I would like to examine how God's right hand uses his hands as well, so that we can get the full orbed picture of the hands of the Lord. He uses them for destruction. He uses them for the showing of his might, of his sovereignty. 
of the strengthening of his people for service and the giving, the, 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 the showing of mercy and his right hand is the Lord Christ and how his right hand uses his hands. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 and we'll, we'll note a few, a few things about the Lord Christ and how, how he uh, handled his earthly ministry. Matthew 8 and verse 2. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. This leper knew. He, was, he understood who Christ was. He understood Christ had the power to heal him. But he still says, if you will. Not what I will. I want you to do it. But if you decide, if you are pleased, if thou wilt, you can make me clean. He comes to the Lord begging for mercy. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. He didn't have to do that. Why did he do? Why didn't, why didn't he just say, be clean? Imagine how long it had been since somebody laid a hand on that leper. They, they would cover their faces and run away from him, yelling, unclean, unclean. I doubt he had had a, 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 a touch on his shoulder, a comforting hand touching him in years. But our Lord laid his hand upon him. Now our Lord cannot become unclean. So him simply touching him would make him clean. And he made sure he understood that, that this leper understood, I will, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. He laid his hand, a comforting hand, a hand of mercy upon this leper to comfort him in his time of, of great need. And he healed that man. And drop down to verse 14. And when Jesus was coming to Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother, that is Peter's mother-in-law, Peter was married, regardless of what the church in Rome would try to teach us about the Pope, and sick of a fever. And he touched his hand. He touched her hand. He didn't need to, again, attempting to, to comfort, to bring comfort to one who is ill. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. He used his hands for comfort and the bringing of mercy. Chapter 9. And verse 27. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. And when he was come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus saith, un saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. He touched their eyes. Again, he did not need to. There was nothing. His, the, the, the flowing of his power does not go through his hands. But yet he chose to do that. He could have just spoken. Psalm 33. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and then stood fast. He didn't have to touch anything. But again, he decided to lay a hand of healing, a hand of comfort and of mercy upon these people. He does the same thing. To us. His hands are used for many purposes. It is the same hand, the same hand that laid its eyes, laid its laid its uh, laid it on its on the eyes of these blind men that touched that leper, that healed these men. 
that was placed over the eyes of Moses as he was placed into the cleft of the rock. It was the same, it was the same hand that covered those eyes of Moses in Exodus 33. He used those same hands to touch others during his earthly ministry to bring healing unto them. He brought healing using his hands, for his hands have many uses and intentions. He uses them to bring to, to accomplish all of his good purpose, and this is often described by his hands. By his hands does he accomplish destruction, the showing of his sovereignty, the equipping of his call for service, the showing of mercy, the, even the bestowing of that mercy can be, can be done by using his hands. By his right hand, come to Ephesians as we, as we close. By his right hand, the Lord Jesus Christ, he has, is, and will ultimately fulfill all of his purposes. He intends to wrap everything up in his right hand. In his right hand. Look at Ephesians 1 and verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. In Christ, in His right hand, will He wrap up all things. In His right hand, He, he accomplishes all of His good purpose. His hands are used for many things. Let us bow before the Lord and thank Him for the hand of mercy that He has placed upon us this evening. Our Father and our God, we thank You for Your hand. 